Welcome to the Flying Baton, the magical land of beginning band. Coming to you from the beautiful Shenandoah Valley of Virginia, your host, Charlie Nesmith. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the show. First of all, thank you guys so much for the support. It has been very, very overwhelming and overflowing since the podcast launched just a couple weeks ago. You can always go to theflyingbaton.com to catch the show notes and a list of all of our episodes, as well as your podcast app of choice. If your podcast app supports show notes, we'll include links to certain pieces of music that we talk about and other things. This week, I'm going to try including chapter markers in the podcast, and I know not every podcast app supports chapter markers, but if it does, you can skip around to the topics that are most interesting to you. Don't forget to hang out to the end of the episode for our beginning band pick of the week, where we dissect a piece of music that you could possibly play for your program. Let's get started. Our guest today is Katina Franklin-Sweetie. She runs the Clarinet Project on YouTube, presenting mini lessons for young clarinet players worldwide, and is the founder and co-director of the Mason Summer Clarinet Academy in Fairfax, Virginia. This is Northern Virginia's only week-long clarinet intensive for teens. In addition to teaching, recording, and adjudicating, Katina is also working on expanding the pedagogy for young clarinetists by commissioning new works for younger players by women. She premiered two of these works at Clarinet Fest in Knoxville, Tennessee, July 2019. She's a performing artist for Diodario Woodwinds and Rice Clarinet Works, as well as the program advisor for the Embark Center, which is a self-directed education center in Leesburg, Virginia. All right, everybody, we are here with Katina Sweetie, and we are talking about Taming the Beginning Clarinet. Uh, Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you very much for having me on the show today. Awesome. Well, if you don't mind, I'm going to start out with uh, the heavy hitter right out of the gate. If you could stand on the mountaintop and proclaim one thing to beginning band directors everywhere about the clarinet, what would it be? Please, please, from the bottom of my heart, stop tuning to Open G. It, it does not work. There are so many variables that can go wrong with that note, right down to hand position, quality of the clarinet, what their mouthpiece looks like, what their embouchure looks like, what kind of reed they're on, if the reed has any chips, if the reed has any mold, if they had, you know, broccoli for breakfast. Everything matters with that open G. So that's all. I, I can give you lots of other notes to tune to. Just don't tune to open G. <laughs> <laughs> what, is your, uh, what is your preferred uh, note for maybe beginner clarinet? So my preferred note is the E. So it's the um, just your thumb in the back and the front index finger there for the E, the, um, because that one gives them more stability when they're holding the instrument. So they have their thumb under the thumb rest, and then they're holding the E. So already they're more secure. When they play open G, they have nothing holding the clarinet except for their thumb. So if they're wobbly at all with their embouchure, and even just their body position, that is going to go all over the place. So if you're holding the E, that's more strength in playing. And the E is going to be just a little bit low already. So just be aware of that. But E gives them more stability, and then you can tune the barrel from there. Mm-hmm. If you want more uh, precise tuning, then if they can play over the break, just go up to the octave E right there and see how that one is. And you can adjust the middle of the clarinet. So you don't have to adjust the barrel all the time. So you can adjust the middle, just make sure the bridge key is still lined up there. And then if you want even more precise and they can play over the break still, you go to the B right below that E, which we jumped up to for the octave. That's your full B fingering. And then if that one is a little bit sharp, you can pull out the bell a little bit of the clarinet. So that's how you can get a better tuning setup. How do you feel about tuning to C versus E? C over the break or C below the E? Uh, Either. Okay. That works too. 
Yeah. I, I actually have my students t- tuned to the E and then the C, especially the beginners that can't do it over the break. And then concert B-flat is what we tune to all the time anyway. I don't know when this concert F thing started, but it drives me bananas. I mean, if you're really married to concert F, just do the G, the octave lower or the octave higher. But that open one is just absolutely the worst one. Especially for saxophones. Really? Good Lord. Yeah. I mean, that the D on the saxophone is, is so incredibly sharp. And there's not a whole lot you can do about it. Like, you can press, like, keys on the side that can help, but then the tone changes. Yeah. Yeah, no, the open G, I've had people come in when I'm doing band uh, sectionals and things like that, and they they start, you know, tuning to the G. I'm like, wait, let me show you how many tens of cents you can (laughs) move it just by, you know, changing your embouchure, your tongue position, or your hands. So, yeah, C works great. That's a really good one, too. Well, actually, so since you bring it up, I have this question for later, but I'll I'll hit it now. Um, So one thing I've been working on with my 7th and 8th graders a lot has been their throat tones. Um, and recently I, I projected a tuner, you know, on the, on the projector and I had one of them come up and play, uh, just a C, a low C and they got that in tune and I was like, okay, now play an A. And then it was literally 50 cents sharp and they didn't change anything with their embouchure. And I've heard people say, you know, online they they say, oh, well put your right hand down. And I had them try that and it maybe budged like five cents or so. So is that all embouchure control? Or There's what else? a lot you can do with the A. Okay. Okay. So, you know, the key for the A, there's that little screw that goes in there. Mm-hmm. Can you picture that? You can adjust the pitch of the A with that too. So if oh. they're 50 cents sharp, double check the instrument. So is that the adjustment that sits like on the B flat? Or, or that, I guess the, it's the it's A. It's the A and the A the flat, flat key. key. Yes, it's yeah. in there. No, you have to be careful when you do that because if you adjust it too much, it lifts up the other key too much and then it won't seal and then it's hard to play. So you can adjust it there. One of the other ones, yeah, and I hear that right hand down all the time, but if their thumb is bracing against the back of the clarinet, so a lot of times beginner clarinet players, when they play the A, they brace their thumb against the plastic or the wood of the clarinet. If you can get them to pick it up and just tilt their head da- hand down for good hand position anyway and keep that thumb right by the F in the back, that will also lower the pitch. Oh, like like hovering over the F? Yeah, and they should be doing that anyway, right? So if they can have that hovering over the F, that helps. And then if they're playing the A, not like a button, you know, have you seen it where they use the pad of their finger to press that A key down? Mm-hmm. If they're using the side of their knuckle, like they're supposed to be hovering over the F sharp, that also can lower the pitch too. So they can do that there as well. Um, yeah, you can do a lot with your fingers with the A. So I think when I've seen you play, you have your... um you know, your your index finger that's already kind of hovering over all of those, the A and the A flat key. Yeah. How do you feel like some directors talk about do, like rocking their finger back and forth? Or for you, is it just like kind of there anyway? Like how do yeah. you think about that? Yeah. So I wish I had brought a clarinet here to hold. <laughs> I'm holding a drumstick. <laughs> so yeah, when I play the A, I have my fingers hovered right there. A good exercise for this is actually playing a C and then rolling to the A, and then rolling back to the C. So I hear the rocking one too, um, which is a good, you know, a good descriptor. But I'd like to say tap it with the side of your finger, because sometimes when people think of rocking, they lift their fingers up really uh, high. Yeah. And that is one of the um, big reasons I have my students use a mirror when they practice, to constantly watch their hand position. I can't even tell you how many hours I dedicated to hand position watching in my mirror in college. So this was, 
you know, I got to college and nobody had spoken to me about this. They also make this insane device called classical fingers, which is like this plexiglass thing that you can put on the uh, instrument. Have you seen is this? Is that to prevent them from lifting so, their fingers so too high? So they don't high? lift their fingers too high. Yeah. yeah. And it's one of the criticisms I get in my YouTube videos in the comments section. People say, it looks like you're playing C the whole time. I can't tell what you're doing. So if you watch my YouTube videos, I will fling my fingers out to show people the notes that I'm playing, but then I usually have a caveat in there like, but this is not how you're going to play it. You don't want to play it like that. It's very upsetting. I like to describe it like the the clarinet is much better than the piano, right? We have to play all over the place when we play the piano. The clarinet, everything we need is right there by our fingertips. So just keep it, keep it right there close by. I think I'm definitely guilty of that, you know, teaching band. So my uh, sixth grade clarinet and saxophone class has like 40 people in it. And, I, you know, I hold up the clarinet and I'm like, like the fingering looks like this. And I lift my fingers like way up in the air. But then I, uh, you know, I try to tell them, you know, but you're not actually going to look like this when right. you do it. Like you need to hover closer to the keys. I'm just doing it so you can see what I'm doing. Um, but it's kind of hard to do, you know, do what I say, not what I do. Yeah, they're working so much <laughs> on fine motor skills, too. Yeah. So, But to go back to the A tuning, also check their mouthpieces and their reeds and then embouchure, definitely. Sometimes they pinch Hmm. And when they pinch the reed and the mouthpiece together, that'll shoot that pitch up there, too. So if they're on the spot playing an A in front of all their friends, oh, yeah. <laughs> they might just grab that mouthpiece for, you know, dear life. And Yeah. And if they play it at piano, it's going to be, you know, even worse. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. When it comes to a student trying to decide what instrument they want to play, are you looking at anything anatomically that is good for clarinet playing or is it more forgiving? Wow, what a great question because there is something very specific I'm looking for. I'm looking for the shape and size of their fingers because hmm. some kids come in and, and they really want to play the clarinet with all their heart and their fingers are just too thin and they can't cover the holes and then they squeak, or it's very difficult to get the air through the instrument because it's escaping from all these little leaks mm -hmm. under their fingers. It just breaks my heart because it's usually that tiny little girl that comes in and is like, I love the clarinet. And I'm like, mm, there's maybe a trumpet over here or a flute for you. <laughs> but yeah, so that's a big one. And in addition to the width of their finger pads, it's the spread that they have in their reach because when they get down really low to the low G and then have to play an F or a low E and things like that, that's really hard for them mm. to stretch their fingers to cover those holes. Those are the big ones that I really look for. Everything else doesn't seem to be a problem. Mm -hmm. Actually, on that note, I'm just curious. Do they? I know for a bassoon, they sell like keys that um, cover some of the holes. Uh, I, I don't know if they're called plateau keys. Or, but, but they make special keys for people who are having trouble covering the holes all the way. Wow. Do they make anything like that for clarinet? Or they so just give them a saxophone? A, <laughs> they, give, they give them a saxophone <laughs> or a flute. Wait, so can you just add it to the specific key that's the problem? Yeah, so for bassoon, uh, with the uh, the left ring finger, yeah. um, it can be an open hole. Or wow. they make a key that is actually just like a straight key. Kind that's of like such a, a great key. idea. I haven't seen that. I've seen a clarinet, a whole clarinet with the keys that are like that, but they're very heavy. Okay, so um, when I go to Midwest or State Conference and there's a clarinet session, inevitably when they open the floor for questions, all the hands go up and the first question is always, what kind of reach should my kid use? Um, so <laughs> could you separate some fact from fiction? Because I feel like a lot of band directors just think if my kids play X read, all of my clarinet troubles will be over. And like, how important is it really? 
Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, this is <laughs> this is the crux of the problem for all of us. Really, we can have the best embouchures and the best mouthpieces and the best clarinets, and then we have a terrible reed, and then it's over. So everybody is different. Every mouthpiece is different. Every person is different. I wish I could give you the magic reed that works for everybody, but that's not how it works. I would stay. I would say with um, starting with clarinet on a two and a half reed is really your best bet. A two tends to be very light. So if you have somebody that's struggling with a two and a half, then go to a two, but I wouldn't start there. So I will have students that come in on a two and it just sound is terrible and there's a lot of squeaking going on, very hard to control. So if you can bump them up to the two and a half, but if you're finding that the sound is still kind of spread and it's very free blowing, then try that three and just go on from there. So those are our reed strengths that we have to work with. Then we have the material that the reed is made out of, right? So for a long time, all plastic reeds were off the table. They really did sound terrible, but there's been a lot of improvement in the plastic reed industry. Um, D'Addario has one coming out. Uh, Legere has them. They've really, a lot of professionals play on them now. I use it for bass clarinet all the time because they don't dry out. And I do recommend it for marching band because they don't dry out and they're much more solid and sturdy than a cane reed. So if price is a problem for some families, trying one of the Synthetic reeds is also another good option. They don't break as easily, but they're more expensive. So if you have a synthetic reed and then you smash your clarinet against the wall and you break <laughs> your reed, then that's expensive, right? Yeah. But they, they, they do wear out, but it takes much longer than the cane reeds do. I think really the bigger question is the mouthpiece that the student is on mm -hmm. because that really will reflect on the reed strength as well. So the stock mouthpieces that come with the clarinets are really just mouthpiece-shaped objects. They make very nice Christmas ornaments. They are not the best mouthpieces. So I do suggest moving to a, a specifically designed student mouthpiece or semi-professional mouthpiece. They aren't that expensive considering how many hundreds of dollars a clarinet costs. I really wish they just wouldn't put a mouthpiece in there and mm. leave it out. Or they would just put a height premiere in there or a pine polycrystal in there or any one of the many D'Addario and Van Doren mouthpieces that are out there. So there are a lot of mouthpiece choices. Just the stock ones are, are really terrible. So they make playing difficult. And that's one of... I think one of the sad things about playing clarinet is that if you don't have a good read and you don't have a good mouthpiece right at the beginning, you think you're the problem. You think you're bad at the clarinet or you're the one that has that terrible sound or is squeaking all the time when it easily could be actually the equipment that you have starting right at the top of the instrument. And do mouthpieces like warp over time? They can, especially, well, I was going to say, especially anything other than a crystal mouthpiece, but who's playing on a crystal mouthpiece in middle school? Um, but yes, they can. Um, you have to be very careful about heat exposure. So please don't leave your clarinet in the car anyway. You don't want it getting stolen either. Um, and don't put your clarinet case down near a heater. <laughs> that happens. And one of the things I always heard was don't swab your mouthpiece out because that can change and warp the dimensions of it. But then uh, that can go the wrong direction really fast of middle schoolers and high schoolers and young clarinets never, ever cleaning their mouthpieces out. And that's a whole other world of problems that we, we don't want to experience. And leaving the reed on the mouthpiece. Yeah. Is, uh, 
Yeah, just in this day and age of bacteria and viral concerns, just take your <laughs> mouthpiece and your reed and separate them. Oh my God, that's awesome. Okay, so as far as um, brand, do you have any strong feelings on brand? Because I know a lot of directors just don't want to think about it. And they're like, just get a Van Doren and be done with it. But are there other good quality options out there besides Van Doren that, that you can vouch for? Like, these these are great. They're fine. They're, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So Van Doren reads are great. Um, the Diderio reads are great. I think Diderio, people aren't using them as much because they don't know about them. And Van Doren's been the standard for so long. And Diderio bought Rico. So hmm. a lot of people have that, oh, Rico, they're terrible, cheap reads. But they... They aren't, they still, I think, make the Rico, but Diderio, the other reads are great. Um, Is it under the Rico name? It's or? under, I think Rico might still be under the Rico name, but Diderio bought them. So Diderio has okay. their own line of reads, like Classic and Evolution and Reserve and things like that. Okay. Um, and then there are many read companies that are out there that are smaller, like Marco Reads and... Of course, I mentioned Legere, which is the synthetic read before. I Everybody is making reads now. I think Selmer is making reads and Silverstein, which makes ligatures, is making reads. So really, it's all personal as well. And there are many things that go into it. So if you think about just the cane and how they cut the cane and where they grow the cane and what the weather was like when they had the cane. I mean, it's starting to seem like you're talking about fine wines. How was the weather in <laughs> France last summer? You know, I want to know how my read is going to do. So um, some people prefer the Van Doren reads. Some people prefer the Daddario reads. It's all personal. So if I was running a program, I would go for the best quality for the best price, honestly, and then go from there. And then eventually people will start buying their own reads and – they can choose what they like. I know for me, I like the Diderio reads better because I get more good reads out of the box. But other people like the way the cane feels of a Van Doren on their lip better. So, Well, I was listening to your interview on the Claire Neat podcast, and you mentioned something really interesting about starting young some young beginners on E-flat clarinet due to size concerns and that sort of thing. And I, I wish I had some. I, I know most beginning programs don't have any of those in stock. Some of my kids do have, they get the Yamaha clarinets. They have the thumb rest with the, the loop for a neck strap. Yep. Do you have any thoughts about using an neck strap with young students or other accommodations to help with, with the weight of the instrument? That's a good one. So I actually don't shy away from letting them rest the clarinet on their knees. So for some people that that works well and that helps them get their feet flat on the ground because it's hard to rest your clarinet on your knees if you have your legs crossed or you have them tucked under the chair. There are a lot of professionals that do it as well. So I would have students that would let the clarinet just sit on their knee because it's just really the edge of the bell or in between their knees. And then they would get in trouble. And I'd say, well, why don't you go on over to the National Symphony and see if anybody is doing it over there? So I don't mind that one. It all has to do with your body shape and your your posture and your size, too, because one of the things we want to avoid is slouching. And I don't mind neck straps. I just feel like you have to double check with how people are using the neck strap because sometimes people close their shoulders in with the neck strap, and it can actually put a little too much pressure on their neck, and they start to get neck pain. So I just double check and make sure that everything is okay. There's another thing that is and I forget the name of it, but it's, it attaches to your thumb rest, like this big wire thing, and it comes out with this cushion that goes further down on your wrists. Yeah, so some people get that, so it moves some of the weight over to there. But 
if people are having trouble holding it, I do talk to them about more about ergonomics and how they're sitting. And, you know, sometimes people fling their elbows out and that makes it really hold the, hard to hold the clarinet. So I bring, you know, have people bring their arms in. But I try and be flexible with all sorts of different solutions to that problem. Some people are just so little when they start yeah. that it's hard to hold it. I'm having flashbacks to all of my 11-year-old beginning saxophone players who are very small. Yeah. And the, the shoulder tension is is huge, especially that right shoulder, for whatever reason, just starts creeping up. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it, I feel like it's probably the next strap where the tension caused, you know, the weight of the next strap. And it, they just kind of like crunch everything up, up top where their shoulders are. I was one of those people, the right shoulder, and I still do it. And I would have people that would, they would watch me at performances and they'd say, wow, you're really emotive with that shoulder. (laughs) 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 You're telling us everything we need to know. So yes, and actually I went to a physical therapist for it and he gave me a lot of exercises to do. But also the big one is just being conscious all the time about how you have your shoulders away from the instrument. And the other one he said to do was to not carry a backpack with just one strap. (laughs) Guilty. Right? As well am I. Grew up in the 90s, right? We thought it was cool back then, you know? One strap, I'm extra cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's like new kids on the block. But um, yeah, so that was one. And then the other one he said to watch out for was leaning your elbow on the table and just resting your hands Mm. in your – or your head in your hands because all these habits – lead into also when we play the instrument too so it's yeah. it's a lot of things i said you know we're talking about this and i'm sitting with horrible oh i'm postures. totally <laughs> slouching right now yeah and then you know it's cold when it's cold i really hunch over mm-hmm. so a whole lot goes into that okay so when, when we're talking about beginners holding the clarinet i know band directors do several different things for example i have my kids in the beginning stages grab the thumb rest with their thumb and index finger in the right hand just because if we don't use the right hand for a little while and it just kind of, if I have them use their thumb, it slides into the webbing because it's more comfortable, it I guess. Does, yeah. And then it causes problems later. So I just grab, I have them just hold it with their right hand until we start learning those notes. And then we transition to using the thumb and talking about where it should rest. I know some other programs, they, they just give the kids the mouthpiece barrel and upper joint. Oh, wow. They don't even give them the lower joint and bell. They say, keep that in your case until we're ready for it. Oh, so I don't feel quite comfortable doing that because I feel like they're going to go home and they're going to put the whole thing together anyway. I would want to put the whole thing together. <laughs> yeah. Also, the pitch is going to be really messed up. Mm. And when they get down to C, it's, I mean, in particular, it's, it's just going to be a D basically at yeah. that point. I have done what you said with holding the thumb rest. Mm-hmm. I have them do the whole instrument right from the beginning. The one time where I don't use the whole instrument is when we work on our embouchure. And in that case, it's just the barrel and the mouthpiece because – You don't have to worry about anything else. You can just concentrate on getting that good embouchure. And I usually open the lesson with that. And then once they are able to have that good embouchure right from the beginning, then I've said they've leveled up or they've graduated or, you know, trying to use some video game terminology to move on (laughs) to having the whole instrument put together. And holding that thumb rest with the, um, like you said, just sort of pinching it and holding it like that with your right hand, that works really well. But I also have them start on an E. I don't Mm -hmm. have them start on the G or the F. It's too wobbly. And then they have E, and then I start with hot cross buns, E, D, C. And they just work into that. And when they feel comfortable, comfortable playing that C, which doesn't take long, then I have them move into having their thumb underneath the thumb rest in the right spot and playing a B flat. So then I try and build songs around the B flat and work through there. They can play a B flat major scale one octave. And I usually try and create my scales that they work on based on 
that kind of thing, like an ergonomic sort of thing, as opposed to going through the circle of fifths, which is what's easier with the key signature. That way, when we do move into going through the scales with the circle fifths, they've actually learned some more complicated scales and they're very proud of themselves. They're like, look at me, I know B, you know. <laughs> That's awesome. So, well, speaking of B, when do you teach them the chromatic fingering for their low B? The so sliver like the, key? Yeah, the, like the index finger and like banana key, whatever The banana you key. Call it. Yeah, I always call it the banana key. <laughs> and everybody makes fun of me now. So now I have to say the sliver key, but thank you very much. <laughs> banana key. Hmm. Well, that one's really fun. And every now and then I'll get a kid that comes into a lesson and they've gone home and they've gone through that whole fingering chart and they'll play that as the standard fingering and I go bananas over that. Get it? See? Banana key? I did that. (laughs) Anyway, so with the chromatic one for the B natural, I usually do that for the chromatic scale. And sometimes if I get that one kid that wants to know what it is, I I do it as a trill, but then I have to explain that (laughs) you very rarely do that as a trill. It's B flat to C. And then the more complicated sharp scales. Mm -hmm. So if you're doing F sharp scale, you're going to need that sliver key in there as well going from the A sharp to the B. But yeah, we don't really get to use that one that much. And, Do you find a, yeah. an intonation difference between the middle finger versus that one? So if we were to hit the register key and do that as the F to F sharp, absolutely. And not much, but it's also a tone quality difference. This So the sliver key F sharp sounds really, really nice as opposed to the, you know, the second finger F sharp, which is a little bit more spread. With the B down in the lower register like that, I don't really notice much of a difference. It depends, once again, on the the hand position of the person playing. So if they're really flinging their fingers out, that B can be pretty sharp. It's harder also to control the sliver key with flinging your fingers around. So Yeah. So I know in some band programs, they they tell all their clarinets, you must buy the E11. Like, you have to buy this. Do you find, like, a significant difference for beginners starting out on plastic versus wood? So with my students, when I talk about plastic versus wood, it's more than just playing the clarinet. It's also a personal responsibility issue, too, because a wooden clarinet, the good ones, are like fine pieces of furniture. You have to care for it. You need to be swabbing it out. You can't leave it anywhere by accident. They're very expensive. So... Usually it's a maturity level for me with the wooden clarinets. But sound-wise, some of the plastic clarinets are really excellent. The Selmers, the Yamahas in particular, are really, really nice. Vito makes a good plastic clarinet. So you can get a really good plastic clarinet, and you can also get a really terrible wooden clarinet. (laughs) So I know we talk a lot about wooden clarinets as the the be-all. We want to get there for the wooden clarinet, but wooden clarinets can crack. And Mm. there are wooden clarinets on Amazon. They sure are there for $120, and they come with a white pair of gloves. They all come with gloves. Why do they all come with gloves? I don't know. It's actually kind of amazing. I just And and they all have five-star reviews. And the reason why they have five-star reviews is you can buy those reviews. This is just a heads up to how Amazon works. So if you really want to know about those clarinets on Amazon, go ahead and read the bad reviews, which come from all the band directors and all the clarinet teachers. So I would go for one of those brand-name plastic clarinets any day over some of the wooden clarinets. because. And the reason why I'm bringing that up is people get really married to this idea of having a wooden clarinet. And the price of a wooden clarinet is very expensive. And then if they see this really cheap wooden clarinet, they're 
tempted to buy that one instead. So I would stay with that good quality plastic clarinet because you're going to need it. You're going to need it in marching band. So you might as well stay with that one. And then when you're ready to move to a wooden clarinet and you want to have that nice sound for your band, there are a lot of good quality used wooden clarinets. So the used R13s are excellent. They're actually sometimes less expensive than an E11. E11 has a mechanism that breaks a lot on the clarinet. So I'm not really a fan of the E11. I would rather have somebody get a used R13. Ubel has a student model out that's a really nice clarinet that's great price. Yamaha clarinets are excellent, really good intonation wonderful wooden clarinets there so they don't if you're if you're trying to stay away from that buffet price point i know bakun has a bunch of wooden clarinets that are good for students so you have them just once again it has actually has to do with the quality of the instrument too yeah do you know uh, chuck west i do so he did a session at vma a few years ago and he had a wooden clarinet and he had his green line clarinet oh those are great and he played them back to back i couldn't tell a difference he's like yeah but this one's not going to crack right of course yeah. then i looked at how much the green line clarinet costs and i'm right. like well that's beyond most of yeah <laughs> what my kids can do but. right yeah and that's one of the things when you're buying a used instrument they have such a great price difference but sometimes you can get a real dog, you know, mm-hmm. so you can get one that's blown out or you can get one that's already cracked before. So that's also something you have to be careful about. I do love the green lines as well. Yeah. And they're like some sort of um, composite material, right? Okay. Yeah. I know Buffet will shoot me for saying this, but I imagine it in my mind, like particle board kind of like, like mm-hmm. it's, it's just sort of all crushed together, but they're wonderful. I know most of the military bands play them and I have colleagues that play them as their main clarinet. Have you had any students come in with the $100 Amazon clarinet before? I have. I sure have. I had one where I was teaching at a camp, and I walk into the room, and the sun came through a window, and it just hit this clarinet with gold keys and rosewood, <laughs> and it just, angels started singing, and it was beautiful, and the young lady holding it was so proud, and I said, wow, this is gorgeous. I've never seen this clarinet before. What is it? I've never heard of it. And she struggled so much to play. And finally, you know, it was already hard to play. And then one day I heard a popping noise, which you never want to hear in a clarinet sectional. And I looked over and it just had split. All the wood had split along the trill keys. And the saddest part is you have to talk to the parents about it. And hopefully you get a good parent that says, oh, my goodness, my bad. Oops, I just dumped $150 on this piece of junk. I'm so sorry. Now I'm going to invest the $800 or whatever it's going to be in, you know, a higher quality plastic one. Um, And so I had to talk to her parent about that. And she said, but it was on Amazon. It had the five-star reviews. I saw another one that was a Borg, which was very exciting for me because I like Star Trek. And I had never seen a Borg clarinet before. They're out there. Yeah. And they are sad when it happens. Because also, just the mechanism not working, but nobody will fix those things because they're junk. And the intonation is a disaster. But the sad part is this poor student is playing it, and they think they're the problem. They think Mm -hmm. they're the one that can't get any sound out. That's a real bummer when I try and play that instrument, and I can't get any sound out of it. And then I hand them mine, and then they play it, and just their face when they can actually play it. Yeah, It's always, like, heartbreaking to try to figure out, like, how do we we break this to the kid? Um, I remember uh, my second year teaching middle school band, I had a girl come in with one of these plastic blue clarinets and and when she played on it it literally sounded like a kazoo oh no and and it was it got to the point in in our classes are big you know we have 35 40 kids in our clarinet sax class 
But every time we would play anything, all the kids would like turn around oh, and look at her no. like, why does it sound like that? And I just felt so bad for the kid. So I had to call the parents and I was like, hey, like, we really need to find something else. And and unfortunately, in that case, the parents got really offended. And oh, I, I tried no. to approach it like the nicest way I could. Um, but I was like, hey, you know what? She can keep it at home for a, a practice clarinet. I will happily give her one of my school clarinets to use while she is at school. Yeah. And then they ended up moving like a yeah. week later. So <laughs> I, I don't know. You dodged that bullet. I don't know what happened. Yeah. yeah. Um, you made the move because you didn't like the blue clarinet. <laughs> Hopefully that's not why they no. moved. <laughs> well, one of the ones that helps for me is that the cases that come with these are actually kind of nice cases. They've got cute little backpack cases, and it comes with a tuner, and it comes with white gloves, yeah. and it comes with a little clarinet peg. And the clarinet peg is actually good quality. I've seen bad clarinet pegs. So what I'll usually say is, well, you got all the accessories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now it's time to get the other. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that could be hard. Um, well, let's talk about tone for a second. Uh, do you have any tips and tricks to developing tone with beginners in particular? That's a great one, too. So we have to start with a good embouchure, right? So I spend a lot of time with working on the embouchure, just mouthpiece and barrel, holding a long tone that way. So much of it is air as well. So then we go into long tones when they are able to put their clarinet together. So I long tones can be kind of boring. So I try and make it interesting. So as I said before, once you hit a certain level, I graduate you to the next level. So being able to hold an E for a nice long time, we'll do sort of competitions where we'll put the timer on and see who can hold it longer. And so that's getting them to use more air. Um, I play a lot with my students and I have them try and blend with me. And and when we work on intonation, instead of saying you're sharp and you're flat, I'll say certain things like, why don't you listen for it? Listen and try and match. And if you don't know what it is, that's when we're going to pull out the tuner and check on it. But really, a lot of it is blending, just blend with each other. Also, it has a lot to do with your tongue position. So we'll, we'll experiment with different, you know, tongue tongue placements, E and U and things like that. There's this video on YouTube of Ray Wheeler. You can just go look for clarinet x-ray head. It's very upsetting. (laughs) He took one for the team. There's a trumpet one, too. I saw the French horn one. Oh, there's a French horn one. It's It's a full minute. It's gross. It's really sad. (laughs) But you can see tongue placement. Mm -hmm. And you can see how it changes the pitch and the sound by how he moves his tongue around. Also, our tongues are really gigantic. And I didn't know this until I saw that. Mm -hmm. So I show them Ray Wheeler. And I do have them start listening right away. So it's absolutely magical these days because when I was in school and I had to go listen to a clarinet player because my teacher said, you need to go find David Schifrin's blah, blah, blah recording. I had to get in the train and go downtown to Tower Records and buy this recording with my money that I didn't have. Now you can just go to YouTube or SoundCloud or Spotify or wherever and find a recording. So what I usually do as an assignment is I have them go find three clarinet players that they like. So if they're listening to other clarinet players, then they're getting that sound in their mind better. So if I were to summarize all of this, it's the long tones and listening, a lot of listening, and just blending. And then I'll just say things like, just play beautifully. Do you really want to sound like that? Can you listen to that for a second? (laughs) Is that really where you want to go with this? Um, and, And then I do another thing. When long tones start getting really boring for people, I have them do these apps where they can do their own beatboxing thing. Have you seen these? Like it's, um, I don't think so. Yeah, so I have them get different beats that they can put together so they can actually have something else going on in the background to get mm, the long mm-hmm. tones going so that they don't get too bored doing it. Yeah. But really the biggest one is just listening, 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 listening. 
So you mentioned on your clarinet project website that you had started by making playlists of really great clarinet players on YouTube that the kids could could listen. Do you have is that public? Could can oh. we link that in the show notes for people yeah. to check out? Yeah, okay. absolutely. I'm always looking for more YouTube videos to demonstrate that really good, really good tone on all the instruments. Yeah. And I would also put other people in there that wouldn't be recognized for a beautiful tone. But I did, you know, some of them are just such phenomenal clarinet players and they can do such incredible things with the instrument. I toss them in there, too. So, yes, I will have to update it. There's so much more on YouTube than when I made that six years ago. (laughs) So when um, you're getting ready to teach kids how to play over the break. How do, how do you approach that, and how do you go about getting them there? Okay, so this one also is a great challenge, being able to play over the break. And the hardest part is that you, sometimes you get people that are small, and they can't play low E, and then it's hard to play over the break going with low E. So you can actually play over the break not going to B first, which is what a lot of us do. So I have them play A, low A, and then tap that register key, and crescendo into the E over the break. Mm -hmm. Um, And if that works, great. And then I have them just build from there. They can go up, and then they can go down from there. If they can't, I will have them stand up, and I take my clarinet, and I turn the mouthpiece around. So I'm playing the clarinet, and then... Then they do the fingering for it so that they can get what it feels like. So much of the clarinet is feel, right? And it's hard to describe. This is where your tongue is supposed to be because it's different for everybody. And also, my words might mean something different to you. So you can also feel the air underneath your fingers if you're using enough air. And that's one of the things I noticed that nobody is using enough air, right? So if I'm playing it first and they do the fingerings, they can feel that power of the air that they need to do. And then we switch also. So then I will have them use their clarinet, they play into their mouthpiece, and then I tap the register key so that I can play over the break. And that usually helps them get that feel of how to go over the break. But yeah, starting in low E and going over to the break from there is really, really difficult to do. Now, the other challenge with playing over the break is you're not going to be starting on A and going to E every time you play. You're going from A to B most of the time. So I have them start, once they can get B comfortably, start on B, then go to A, then go back to B. And I actually have that as a whole warm-up. They start on B, A, B, B, A flat, B, B, G, B. And B flat is in there too, but I usually add that one later because it's the trickiness of the thumb with the register key in that one. Are you having them slur all of these? Yes. Okay. Thank you for asking that. They will try and tongue it because it's easier. It gives them that tiny little break to think about it. And once again, good hand position. How many times have you heard a C major scale where they're going C, D, E, F, G, A, ta? Because they, <laughs> they need to get, they're going uh-huh. from A, you know, if their hands are totally flung out, they, they have to get... 10 or nine fingers down it's and it's a lot of fingers so that's why i have them start on the b and then go down and then come back up and many times people are in that exercise for weeks and weeks and weeks until they get more comfortable you can also start the scale from the top and go down and then back up i know the beginning of this year my seventh grade clarinets were so bad about whenever they had to go over the break they would take a breath yes the breath they would justify it like oh i had to breathe there i was like you do not need to breathe there you know and eventually i mean it, it took like just going down the row 
like literally every day of like, I want to hear your slur from A to B. Mm-hmm. And I just want to mark who can do it yet and yeah. who can't. Yeah. And if you can't do it yet, I'm going to listen to you tomorrow. Yeah. And then if you can't do it, I'm going to listen to you the next day until you can all do it. And that was motivating because they don't want to play in front no, of the class. No, no, nobody wants know. to do that. Yeah. <laughs> but I was like, you can't keep taking a breath every time you go from A to B. No, it's amazing. It'll be the fastest pas- passage I've ever seen. And they'll stop and take a breath in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know, one thing, too, I, when, when kids are trying to play over the break and they're struggling, I, I really appreciate that you mentioned turning the clarinet around and using your fingers because the first thing I see them do is adjust their mouth. Oh, yeah. And it's like, that's probably not the problem. Yeah. You know? um, they, they start doing weird things with their lips and their chin and they, they think do. that that is the issue. Yeah. Um, but unless they've got like a weird reed problem, it's it's usually fingers. It's fingers. Or air. Yeah. The other yeah. one is they bump the side keys. Yeah. Yeah. So that'll yeah. do it, too. And that's and, and that's another thing where I'm like I want them to keep their fingers close to those side keys, but I also I also don't want them to press them. Right. Yeah. Hard balance. You know? So one of the things I've done to help with that is I'll go get balloons from the dollar store, and you can inflate it a little bit, maybe the size of an egg or a little bigger than a golf ball, and then you can put it in the pocket of their palm when they play, and they can sort of squish into that, and that gives them a little bit more of that secure feeling, but it also helps them curve their fingers, and then then keep them away because it is that delicate balance you want to keep them curved and close but you don't want to be bumping the side keys yeah so that also can help them too that's awesome i'm gonna have to do that so um as far as playing over the break i know a lot of my kids struggle with getting grunts like g and up over the staff is that a tongue positioning thing or what what is like the common culprit of that Okay, there's a bunch of things in there, but I think the biggest one is air. Hmm. So they need to keep that air moving. One of the things I use to describe this is, you know, the flickering lights at Christmas. That electric current is still going. It is not stopping. It's just sort of skipping. There's a little thing that skips off that electric current that causes the black for that one second. Hmm. So you need to keep the air constantly moving. Um, where they're tonguing the reed also can affect it. So if they're tonguing too low on the reed, you can get that grunt. Where they, What part of their tongue they're using. So some kids anchor tongues, so they're going to stick their tip of their tongue behind their bottom teeth and tongue with the middle of their tongue. Mm. So that'll also do it. The worst one is when they tongue with, they're not tonguing, they're closing off their throats. Oh, and that yeah. is just, that is a heartbreaker because that's a really yeah. hard one to stop. And it just looks really painful. Yeah. <laughs> and that sort of guttural grunt that they do. So we have the air, we have the tongue position also. So that E thing is is important, but especially to get those higher notes. I just made a video about this, actually. To get those higher notes to speak, you have to have that more of that E in the back of your tongue there. Mm-hmm. And that can change where you're hitting the reed, too. So they have to make an adjustment. The other thing is, is you're hitting the tip of the reed much higher up than you think you are. And especially... If you play bass clarinet, when we're doing articulations, you move throughout the reed more. So lower articulations, I hit lower on the reed. So the B-flat clarinet is obviously much smaller reed than the bass, but you can hit higher up for those higher notes. So that will help get that grunt out of there. I have them do, I have them slur the notes. So starting on F, because they're not grunting on the F, right? And then slur up to the C, Nice and slowly, but then you can have them do F, G, G, and just get that feeling of keeping the air moving. And then F, G, A, A, like that, F, G, A, B, B, but just doing the slur and then just a repeat on that note for the articulation helps. It might be time to bust out that x-ray video you were telling me about. Yeah, that's also another good one. (laughs) Yeah. 
All right. So um, my second year students, I feel like so so much happens in clarinet in the second year. Um, I I notice it, I usually have like maybe three or four like complete rock stars who are playing all their skills in two and three octaves, and they just they, everything I give them they crush, and I'm like I don't know what to do with you. And then you have like another pocket of kids who are struggling with is it B flat or B natural, you know, and they they can't get that concept like in their head, and and they're all you know sitting together. Um, are there some resources or solos or duets that I can give the, those kids who are rock stars to like help keep them challenged while we we struggle through the other kids who are barely learning their notes? Oh man, this is the that's the plight of us all, isn't it? It's oh, and it really is that second year. So when I've encountered that, I usually have a meeting with my rock stars, and I usually say, "Hey." We want the whole section to sound good. What are your ideas? What do you think we should do? And I kind of bring them into the leadership position right from the beginning. And they usually have great ideas and they want the band to sound good. Sometimes you get that one kid that's like, everybody sucks. You know, how come you all can't be like me? But usually that's not the case. Usually they want to work together. And so to challenge them, sometimes it's they become teachers too because they're pretty enthused and excited about it. And they want to share that and they want the group to be good. So I also don't frown upon when band directors have the the seating tests and they put the top three, first chair, first clarinet, first chair, second clarinet, first chair, mm. third clarinet for that reason. But usually I have a conversation with everybody. And I'll even talk to the other guys too and be like, hey, you know, why are you in band? And it's just, it's a why <laughs> question. And I don't want it to be like, why are you even here you shouldn't be here, but more like, why are you here? What are your goals? What do you want out of this experience here? And some people are there for friends. Some people are there for the music. Some people really want to be good and they just don't have the resources. They don't have the time to practice. Um, some people, it's harder to be good than it is other ones. You yeah. know, what we call, I'm doing the air quotes for talent, but because I always feel like it's more about practicing than yeah. it is about talent. Absolutely. Well, yeah. and that's why I feel like I really see the separation the second year. Because the first year, everyone's kind of in the same boat. Mm -hmm. The kid who's taking the instrument home every day and the kid who's not, they still sound kind of similar. But once they hit year two, yeah. the kids who are taking the instrument home and working start just wildly excelling faster. Yeah. You know. And it's a bummer for them when, you know, they have to sit through sectionals with me and I'm spending all the time working with the third clarinets. It's no fun. And I acknowledge that. And I, I do it in a way that's kind and not condescending. But that that's hard. And then you want to get pieces. And I don't know the literature enough to find. I have to do this with clarinet choir when I do, uh, do the Mason Summer Clarinet Academy. I don't know who's coming until I get there that day. So we always have the pocket of people that's really the, the rock star section. And then we've got other people that are great clarinet players. And then we have a couple that I'm like, oh, wow, hi. <laughs> <laughs> you love the clarinet. Yep. Let's, let's, let's figure this out. Mm. And um, I, yeah, you don't want to have a clarinet choir piece where everybody is playing really hard stuff because the other people are going to struggle. But mm. then finding the balance where the music is challenging up for the top player, the tops of the section players, and then it's not as challenging for the other ones. So, yeah, that's really hard. I try and bring everybody together mm -hmm. and work it out as a group. And it's been working okay. Mm -hmm. So if um, if I wanted to give some, you know, say, say I had a couple of players who just can play everything that we're doing right now, and I want to maybe send them off to learn a duet or Great. something. Do, yeah. you, do you have like, is there like a, 
a good resource for finding stuff that's appropriate for for like second third year students because a lot of stuff I find is more for high school college. Age. Yeah. Um, the I um, no, I was going to say IMSLP, but that would be your more high school and college for your free online resources. But that's all the classical music era. Rubank has two duet books: the Yellow Book and the Orange Book. Have you seen those for mm-hmm. clarinet? The Yellow Book is good for your middle school, second year. It's going to be challenging, some of them, but they can flip through the books and find the ones that they want to learn. Um, so the the yellow book for the, the Rubank is good if they want to go off and do some duets, too. I'm trying to think of some other ones. There's a lot of duet books out there, but the Rubank really has some good stuff in it. What are your feelings about practice records with oh. younger kids? And I only bring this up because... Um, on, on your, your website bio, it mentions the art of mentoring techniques. Yeah. And it says uh, empowering the student to individually reach his or her goals without the student even knowing. Oh. So what do you do as far as written goal setting and or tracking their their practice over time? This was a big and a hard lesson for me because I had a wonderful student and she goes on to be the first chair bass clarinetist at Allstate two years in a row. And I think second chair one other year, but we had one lesson where she hadn't been practicing for weeks. She was very young. She was in middle school and I was hitting my limit as a clarinet teacher because I was under the impression that it only was one way and she wasn't practicing the stuff I gave her and she wasn't doing anything. And I was, I was angry about that. And I I said something like, why are you here? Why aren't you practicing? And she was backed into a corner and she almost started crying. And then I thought, why am I here? Why am I doing this? And I apologized and I said, let's revisit the goals. What do you want out of me? Let me in clarinet lessons. What do you want from me? What do you want out of playing the clarinet? And what are you actually able to do? And it turned out that, you know, she had an illness in the family and she had a ton of AP class home, you know, and she's not AP yet, but I feel like AP classes just eclipse everything, right? (laughs) And they have so much homework. And so she may want all of these things, but she can't get to them because she has all these other things going on. The other big one for me is I open this story with my bragging about what she's accomplished there's my ego involved too. So I want her to practice because I know she goes into band and I want her to sound good in band so that the band director sends me more students too. So it was it was a big moment for me to put my ego aside too and say, what can I do to serve this person to help them get to their goals? So for practice records, I don't make people do it. Some people like doing it. I try and do it myself. I can make three days out of it, and then I stop doing it too. So some people really love bands. They love it. They're very happy there, but they're never going to get to that top section. And they might not be learning the music that the way we want them to learn the music too. So I do a lot of games. I also do a lot of honest talk. So when I come in to do sectionals during assessment time, I say, all right, this is what your band director says we need to do. As soon as we can get this done, then you guys can ask me, you know, whatever you want from me as a clarinet expert that's here for you. But we need to do this first. We have to honor this responsibility that we have to do. Then sometimes it gets hard to stay working 
for that full 35 minutes. And 35 minutes is not a lot of time, but what's the average attention span anyway? 15 minutes. <laughs> and one of the things I learned in the art of mentoring was to think of your time working with somebody in a circle as opposed to linear, right? So let's say we're going to do it with the cardinal directions and we start in the east. We've just arrived. The sun is rising. We're all inspired. We're excited to start our day. And so we do our greetings and hello and what we're going to do. We move into south. So we're moving down into south and south would be where we're working. And we're going to work really hard, but you can't stay there, right? We just can't. Their minds will start to wander. So then we can go into the sort of the southwest a little bit and that's where you're going to take a break. You can play some games. And when I said they, I have them learn it without knowing that they're learning it, this would be that spot mm-hmm. where you can play some games based on the rhythms that they're having trouble with. Or I have a number game where I have them repeat numbers back to me, which is sort of a memorization kind of thing. I'll talk about the composer or I'll talk about different pieces that were based on this piece because a lot of these pieces are programmatic. And then you can move into the the Western part of your compass, which is let's go back and review some of it. Let's Let's go back and talk about what we did, what we didn't do well, what we need to fix, can polish it up. And then North would be more of that review, but you can bring it out into our lives outside of bands. Like, what did you accomplish today or learn today that you can take with you when you leave this room? So um, that was one of the great things about the art of mentoring when I learned that. So you're going to just keep coming back to those places the next time you see everybody. Whereas that linear one, I'd find that I'd work people really hard. And then you get to this place where everybody's sort of frustrated and they make mistakes a lot. And I'm making mistakes a lot. And that wasn't really working. And then if I didn't get to the goal that I was expecting to get to, then I felt like I hadn't achieved that line. But if I think about it in a circle, I can always come back to that place if it wasn't where we wanted it to be. Can you tell me about the uh, the Mason Summer Clarinet Academy? Oh, sure. So about five years ago or six years ago, I was tired of having no options around Northern Virginia for my clarinet students to have a clarinet experience over the summer. It was either Interlochen <laughs> or Brevard and things like that, which were very expensive and far away. And I was just thinking more band camp kind of thing, like clarinet camp. And they were counting marching band as their clarinet camp, which made me die a little inside because marching (laughs) band is a bummer for clarinet. We don't play the trumpet or percussion. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Let's just be honest. (laughs) They will yell at us all the time to play louder, and we just can't. So also, it's it's an embouchure destroyer right there. And if we're talking about good sound production and tone and things like that. Anyway, so... I was joking with one of my friends at George Mason University that runs percussion camp, John Kilkenny. And I said, so when are you guys going to do a clarinet camp? And he said, well, when are you going to do the clarinet camp? And I said, I don't want to do a clarinet camp. And then (laughs) I did the clarinet camp. So the Clarinet Academy is a week-long just clarinet extravaganza. We have clarinet choir. We do a pop cover where people pick whatever we're going to do. So Don't Stop Believing is a big hit. And um, we should get some queen in there as well. So... There's, um, we have a solo recital, too, for people that want to play in the recital. We have a master class, and we have had past master classes with historical clarinets where the woman came in. Her name is Marie Ross. With She flew from Germany with 35 um, replicas or original clarinets from the 17 and 1800s, and everybody got to play them. Wow. And her master class was really cool because she did the evolution of how the clarinet came to be as we know it today 
with each instrument. And she played the song, the music from that time on the instrument, which was really cool. And we had a jazz guy, we had a Greek clarinet player come in, we had Klezmer come in, a Klezmer guy come in and teach us all a different thing. So this year we have, um, in addition to all that, we have um, the army band clarinetists are gonna come and play for us and do a panel about what it's like in one of the military bands. We're having a clinic on clarinet repair that you can do yourself and how to maintain your clarinet so you don't need to be repairing it. Um, so it's really fun. We also are paired with George Mason University, other instrument academies. So the flute academy is there and we have a percussion one too. And once a day, we'll have another session with them too. So yoga or sight reading and things like that. So it's really fun. Is this something that middle school age students can do? Is this high yeah, school only? Yeah, 13 to 18. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I actually have adults contact me and they're like, I really want to do it. I'm like, I'm really sorry. <laughs> We're discriminating against you. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, so I saw on your website you have the Women Composer Clarinet Project. And I was reading your quote from that and I was I was really floored. It said that the Vivoda database has over three thousand approved solo and ensemble pieces and eight are by women and five are by minority composers. It's a bummer. That is crazy. It was crazy. Oh my god. I, I was very upset. And those were um I think the minorities were arrangements too. So I think there were Joplin arrangements. It, yeah, and I went through it. Now, most of them are arrangements. So that needs to be addressed first because most of our music that gets played is from Western tradition. So it's going to be a lot of Mozart and Haydn and Handel arrangements. So what I decided to do was reach out to women composers and have them uh, write music or if they have already written it, get it out there, get the word out there more for younger players. Now, there are a lot of great women composers right now that are writing fantastic music, but it's far outside of the reach of young clarinet players. And I mm. wanted to have their music available for younger players so that one day we can get to a place where nobody notices who wrote this music and just we enjoy playing the music for what it is. And it just so happens to be by a woman or it just so happens to be by a minority. But I can tell you as a woman that I get really excited when I see pieces by women because I just don't get to see them as much, especially when I was learning to play the clarinet. Not mm. one of my pieces was by a woman. It wasn't until I got to college and my college um, clarinet teacher said, oh, you need to play Joan Towers' Wings. And I had never you know, heard of her and didn't even know. So this year I am arranging some Clara Schumann leader so that we can get some of her music in there because she wrote beautiful music. Yeah, well, it's it's been a really exciting year, I think, for band on on that front because mm -hmm. there's been a big push this year, to, and I think just people have suddenly realized, hey, most of our composers are white dudes. Yeah, what should we do about that? And yeah. you know, it's been funny. I, I know that the the band director Facebook group can be a toxic wasteland sometimes, especially the middle school band director Facebook group. I mean, I love it. I love being in the group. It's great. But when this was like getting a lot of steam earlier in the year, there were a lot of people that got on there and they're like, I don't understand why we're talking about this. Good music is good music. It doesn't matter who wrote it. Why do y'all feel the need to talk about this every day? And I was just like, wow, like, I just don't know what kind of environment that person, like, works in that they don't realize that this is a big deal. Yeah. Especially for those those kids. Yeah. You know, who, who want to play music by somebody that they can identify with. Yeah. That's yeah. what really is important, what they can identify with. And then it's not just good music. I don't want to think of taking away from Mozart or taking away from the yeah, the white male composer it's just let's make more room for other people which hasn't been happening mm, yeah well you've been very generous with your time 
Uh, if you don't mind, if we could hit our coda, if you will, I have three additional questions. Okay. Do you have a mentor shout out? A mentor shout out mm -hmm. for me? Yeah. Oh my goodness. It's going to be David Krakauer. He was my clarinet teacher in college, in graduate school in New York City. And I knew he was going to be a great person in my life when I went to his apartment for our very first clarinet lesson and he had picked up his mail. And in his mail was a postcard. And he said, oh, I just got this from one of my students I'm most proud of. And I said, oh, what orchestra are they in? And he said, she's in the Peace Corps. That's very cool. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And my other clarinet teacher, Paul Green, he's a wonderful clarinet teacher too. They both believed in me and helped me so much. I'm always going to be grateful to them both. Um, do you have a favorite beginning band piece? A favorite beginning band or piece? Or in your case, since you teach privately, do you have like a favorite beginning clarinet piece? Oh my gosh, does it have to be real or can I say John Williams? Please let me say John <laughs> oh, Williams. Oh, you can say John Williams, that's fine. Oh, I love John Williams. <laughs> I, you know, and I love a lot of pieces, but oh my gosh, John Williams, aren't we so lucky to be alive while John Williams is alive? And, yeah. and, and so when I have students that come in and they're like, I learned how to play the Imperial March, I'm like, let me hear it. <laughs> and then we can work on your finger position and make sure you're not, you know, but stuff like that. I mean, always, mm. because it's living music to them and they get so excited about it. Yeah, I, I love doing that, especially if there's a kid that I know isn't practicing. No, oh. I'll just like, hey, here's here's Star Wars. Go learn this. Exactly. And I'll see him come in every morning and work on it. Yes. Yes. Yep. Awesome. Yep. And see, that's what you were talking about earlier. How do you get them to practice without them knowing it? Right there. <laughs> John it. Williams. John is the Williams. <laughs> okay. Um. And the final question: uh, Do you have um a band director or perhaps private teacher who you think is crushing it right now? Oh wow, that is such a great one. I'm going to say Brad Zimmerman over at Longfellow Middle School. His students sound great. They love bands. They're so happy to be there, and they work so hard for him. They love him there. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank and you. And I hope we get to talk again sometime. Yes, absolutely. This was so much fun. Thank you again. You know what time it is. Beginning band. This week's pick is Spanish Rose by Joseph Campello published by Carl Fisher. Since our episode is all about the clarinet, I thought I would pick a piece with a clarinet feature. This piece is great for clarinets practicing on the difference between B-flat and B-natural because they play both of them in the main melody. The second time through the A section, the flutes and saxes have a beautiful counter melody. This works on long slurred phrases, which is perfect for that year one and two student. One thing that I really like about this piece is the contrast of articulation. There's a healthy variety of staccato, accents, tenudos, and slurs. One of my favorite moments in the music is when the whole band modulates from E major to E minor. It has this quiet intensity that adds a lovely variety to an otherwise happy piece. Mm -hmm. 
piece is really good on working on eighth rests, and it has some first and second endings with repeats as well. There are two clarinet parts, neither of them go over the break, and both parts are mostly the same. There's some splits here and there for harmony. The range for them is low A to B flat in the staff. There are two trumpet parts. The first part goes up to A, and the second part goes up to G in the staff, and these parts are split into harmony for most of the piece. The horn part is very accessible, and it only goes up to G in the staff as well. The low brass parts in this are so pivotal and crucial to setting up the style. Their range is from low A flat to F. Most importantly, this is one of my kids' favorite pieces that we do in the first year, and they often ask to play it years later. I love it, and I hope you will too. I'll put a link in the show notes if you would like to purchase the music or listen to it in its entirety. This has been... All right, everybody, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. We've had a really good time, and I hope you've enjoyed our guest. As usual, I'll put links to a ton of stuff that we talked about in today's episodes in the show notes at theflyingbaton.com. And if your podcast app supports show notes, you can see it there as well. If you're on Facebook, don't forget to check out our page over there. I'll see you guys next time. Thanks for joining us on The Flying Baton. Remember, may your tone be dark and your humor light. Thank you.